Well, uh, I don't know how you've been coping with the heat. Maybe having showers, um, maybe drinking water. Um, I know over the past couple of days, my thirst has been unbelievable. I, uh, I think yesterday I must have drunk about seven or eight pints of water just trying to um, refresh myself and it was maybe even more than that. Uh, I just had to keep topping up with fluids. The people of the first century, Galilee, were thirsty too, but in a different way. Thirsty for hope. Thirsty for change. Thirsty for something new of God. Thirsty for a revolution. Thirsty for healing. Through John the Baptist, there had been a taster of the water that was yet to come. The living water that would bring relief. And now it was time for Christ's presence to be known. For refreshment to be experienced. Although we'd heard the other week that uh, in his own town, Jesus wasn't particularly welcome. He did do miracles there. And when he went to other places too, the crowds had become huge. They listened to his teaching. They sought healing and miracles for family, for friends, for themselves. Yet in this time of earthly ministry, he would only be in one village at a time. And the thirst would never get quenched. And it was therefore time for the disciples called here to be apostles to venture out. A disciple is someone who lives the way of their teacher. Who learns and grows until it's time to move onwards. To perhaps become the teacher to a new group of disciples. Spreading uh, the teaching to a new community. An increasing number of branches in the tree. A growing community that would understand the message that had been cascaded down. So the action of a disciple is to repeat what they have witnessed. And yet, as Jesus calls them to go and be apostles here, um, there's quite an element of risk involved. Because Jesus is trusting them to go and do just as he was doing. But in previous chapters, we've, we've seen that when he tells a parable, they have to say, you know, what, what was that you were saying? You know, they have to get him to explain the parable of the sower. Before the wind was stopped and they were on the boat in a storm, they were really afraid. 
they thought they were going to drown. They, they lacked faith. And even after this event, they would occasionally question his word and his behavior. They're not fully on message. They're not the clean, polished article that you want to go out and do the job. They are human. Just like we are. And he's chosen them. And he's called them. And he sends them out as pairs into the world. Sending as pairs is not simply ensuring that they have a travel companion, somebody to chat to as they walk along from village to village. It's not just that they're recognizing that there's different gifts there, but it follows on from the understanding of Deuteronomy 17 of having two witnesses for testimony. You need corroboration. You need somebody to back you up. It's still there in much of Scottish law that there has to be two. Together, the pair tell the story. Together, they pray and seek the healing. Together, they can bring the story back. Together, they are the witness that will be believed out there in the village as they enter it. And if they have not believed, if they have not trusted, if they have not welcomed, then they are to move on. Not to waste their time, but to shake the sand from their feet. A gesture that would uh, maybe more normally be directed at Gentiles. But here, they're sent to their own people. Still today, as we go out, we're not sent alone. We may appear at times to be individuals, but actually we're accompanied by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit gives us the words to say, the direction to go, a sense of what God wants us to do, how to touch and how to heal. We might be doing it in a different way. But those who were sent out by Jesus were just ordinary people. Not great theologians, not highly educated, fishermen, tax collectors and so forth. Folk that he had found that had come to him and he'd say, yeah, follow me. Normal people speaking to normal people passes the message on. 
there was a, a Sri Lankan Methodist minister called Daniel Niles. Um, I think he died about 1970 or thereabouts. Um, and he talked of evangelism as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's us. It's one beggar telling another where to find bread. Where they could be fed is evangelism. And that's us. We are but beggars. But we are beggars that have the bread. That have the source of nourishment. That have the refreshment that others need to encounter. We can share it. And that idea of being a beggar kind of sounds true with how those apostles were that day. As Jesus sent them off in six pairs. They had that appearance. Nothing but sandals and a staff. No food. No means to buy food. Not even an extra shirt to keep them warm at night. They had to find shelter. Just the most basic support to walk from one village to the next. They travelled light. But we would probably fear to do that. This is... uh, One of the books I had when I was at college, um, studying the world church, uh, and it's a a reprint of a volume that was first published, first published 1891, New Impression 1986, Um, and and it's... uh, Sir Chris, uh, no, not Sir, S. Tristram Pruin. And he'd been to Africa, and it's his thoughts on Africa and what you see and discover there. And it's to encourage future people going on the journey. Seeing what you would encounter if you were to go there, what the people are like. It talks about what the slave trade is that's going on. It talks about the animals. And in the back of it, in the appendix, it it gives a list of things to take. A list of supplies necessary for one person travelling in Central Africa for one year. A handy equipment list. It doesn't say go with sandals and a staff. No money, no bag, no extra shirt. In fact, it says take two tweed suits unlined and two canvas suits for marching and hunting and one or two flannel suits. 
They're going to be well suited, this traveller. Among the other things are two strong white or coloured umbrellas. And four dozen dusters. I'm not quite sure how much dusting is going to be done by the missionary on their journey in Africa. Or whether this is for trading. He does go into quite a bit about bartering with the locals and making sure about things that you can do that way. And there's actually a bit of explanation as to where to buy such items. You buy your suits from your regular tailor. And that way the, the tailor will take care in the manufacture of them. Not just any old shop, you know. It's clear that the idea of taking nothing is lost by the era of the Victorians. One wonders what they were thinking of um, in the quantity and range of the items they took. And uh, do peruse that book sometime. The Twelve travelled light. They didn't go on a great caravan of people and folk carrying their stuff. They simply came along to the village and shared what they had. Not wealth, not clothes, not property. They shared the good news. They called people to repent. They brought healing. They drove out evil spirits. And they did this in Galilee. Not Samaria, not to the Gentiles. That time would come. They were not yet equipped spiritually for the difference in thinking that would be there. That would have to wait for the day of Pentecost. We, however, are sent to the ends of the earth. And that is a we. Not just a few. We have different gifts of the Spirit. Some speak in tongues, some interpret, some are prophets, some have visions. Some play music, and some of us are tone deaf. But the Lord summons all twelve, whoever they were, whatever their individual gifts were. And he sent them out to the mission field. And he does the same to us. Don't choose the way of comfort. Don't think not yet. Don't say it's not for me because it's for us all. It's for us all to share the word and to declare the coming of the kingdom. Go on the mission. Be apostolic. Be the church.